So, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs 22. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. Proverbs 22 verse 28. And this verse should hopefully sound familiar uh, to at least some of you. This is the uh, theme verse for you some of this year. Vow says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Let's go ahead and begin, uh, first of all, though, with a word of prayer. Dear Father, just thank you so much, um, Lord, for just uh, another opportunity, Lord, uh, that we could have this youth summit uh, once again this year. Lord, thank you for these young people and sending us out a couple days where they could come out. Lord, and yes, have some fun, but most importantly, um, Lord, have an opportunity to hear uh, your word uh, preached um, today and tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that you'll use the, the preaching of Brother uh, Burden and myself, Lord, just use, um, Lord, in spite of ourselves, but use uh, your word to challenge the hearts of these young people, Lord, that they, decisions um, will be made uh, throughout this this uh, youth summit, uh, Lord, that... Uh, just that you'll do great things in the heart of our young people. Lord, be with me now as, as I preach. Uh, Lord, if there's any sin in my life, forgive me of that. Um, empty myself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just give me the message you would have me preach, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The word landmark. Word landmark. It actually has a few different meanings, the way we use it today in English. It has a, has a variety of meanings. In the context of our theme verse here, Proverbs 22, verse 28, it refers to something used to mark the boundary of land. Secondly, it can also refer to a prominent or conspicuous object that serves as a guide. You know, something that you might uh, do when driving to help with directions. Finally, a landmark is a place or event that is of outstanding historical or cultural importance, and given a special landmark status ordaining its preservation and or its memorialization. This evening, I want us to look at our Youth Summit theme of Remove Not the Ancient Landmarks from each, from the respective of each of these three meanings. And we're going to be, first of all, with our theme verse, Proverbs 22, verse 28. And so we're going to talk about landmarks and, and as far as the meaning of boundaries. Now, Let's set some, some context uh, with this for us. I think it will be a big help. You know, today, knowing property lines is a pretty straightforward process. Property boundaries, officially surveyed by professionals, are recorded in local courthouses, as are titles, mortgages, and land plots. You know, surveyor stakes can be removed, but property boundaries remain unchanged. And so it's really easy now. You can just go and you can find out where your property is, where your neighbor's property is. You know exactly. Um, you can find out exactly what part belongs to you, what part belongs to your neighbor. Really straightforward uh, nowadays. However, uh, in, in ancient times, landmarks were of vital importance. You know, where a clear natural boundary, you know, such as maybe um, a ravine, a river, or what have you, where, where a, a clear natural boundary didn't exist, permanent objects such as uh, large stones were used to mark boundaries. In Israel, to remove an ancient landmark was a serious crime. Deuteronomy 19.14 commands, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. 
And then in Deuteronomy 27, verse 17, a curse was pronounced on anyone who removed his neighbor's landmark. So God took it very seriously. This land belonged to you. It is not your place to remove someone else's landmark because in essence you are stealing their land. And what is it that was on land? It was, it was people's crops. And if you steal their land, you're stealing their crops. You're stealing uh, their ability to provide uh, food for them and their family. So God took it very seriously um, that these landmarks were not to be moved. In Joshua's day, the whole land was divided by divine lot among the tribes and families of the nation. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and Joshua, according to uh, God's instructions, gave each of these 12 tribes a specific portion of the promised land. And then in uh, the section that belonged to each tribe, each individual family uh, got a section of that land that belonged to the tribe that, that they were a part of. So everyone had their own land. They each, each tribe, each family got their own section of the promised land. Um, and furthermore, all this property was entailed. Now, entailed is a legal term, meaning that the passage of the land was limited to a specific line of heirs. Therefore, their land could not be permanently sold. Uh, the longest lease ran for 50 years, from Jubilee to Jubilee. And at Jubilee, all land was restored to its original owners. And th- this ensured that no family would ever be without land. You know, the idea was, you know, there might be come a time where a family is struggling financially. And so, in order to provide for their family, they would lend that land to someone else. And... Uh, that person who, who, of course, borrowed the land was able to make a little bit more money off it, but allowed the family to survive. However, at Jubilee, which was every 50 years, all the land in the nation of Israel was to go back to its original uh, family members that owned it. You could not buy land in the nation of Israel. What belonged to your family belonged to your family. Yes, you could lease it in order to, to get some money to provide for your family, but what belonged to your family would forever belong to your family. Now, the spiritual application uh, is the landmark or boundary for us today of the Christian faith. The fact is that, that previous generations have earnestly contended for the faith, as, as Jude's epistle instructs. Jude, he says, he, right in the beginning of his epistle, that we're to earnestly contend for the faith. And many Christians have been ruthless, ruthlessly mocked, tortured, and even killed for their faith. You know, there's this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's a long book, but if you were to read through it, it, it gives countless uh, accounts of all these people throughout um, church history that have given their life, or that have, at the very least, uh, been tortured uh, for the Christian faith. I mean, William Tyndale, just for trying to uh, translate the Bible into English, was was uh, uh, burned alive. You have... Um, the disciples themselves, other than, according to church history, other than the Apostle John, every single apostle was martyred uh, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John, who wasn't martyred, was uh, burned alive in a vat of boiling oil and miraculously survived. And Peter, uh, this is interesting, of course, Jesus uh, said to Peter that he was going to be crucified. Um he, he prophesied that, that that would happen to Peter. And according to church history, Peter didn't want to, uh, didn't think himself worthy to, to die the exact same way that Jesus died. So according to church history, Peter asked to be crucified upside down. So as, as horrible as, as crucifixion is, imagine it even worse being crucified upside down. And so you have the apostles, and, uh, and for one, that's a, think about it. Why would anyone willingly die for a lie? 
These apostles, you know, they knew that Jesus was God. They saw Him, that He was risen from the dead. They knew that He was who He claimed to be, the Son of God. You know, they're not going to give their, their lives. They're not going to martyr themselves for what they know to be a lie. No sane person would martyr, martyr themselves for what they know to be a lie. And so the fact that these apostles were willing to, to give their life, the fact that you have all these people throughout church history that are willing uh, to give their lives uh, for uh, taking a stand for God, I believe shows the, the, the truthfulness, the veracity of uh, God's Word. Now, let me clarify here. By spiritual legacy, I'm not talking about tradition. You know, tra- tradition in and of itself isn't wrong. You know, in church, we, we have a lot of tradition. We have, you know, these are the way we've done things, and we're like, well, this is the way we've always done it, so we're going to keep doing it that way. And tradition in and of itself isn't wrong. But when we elevate tradition to the level of doctrine, that's when we have a problem. But what I'm imploring you to do, you to do t- uh, today and, and through your life is to stand for the truth of God's work, to stand for the doctrine, to stand for biblical truth. And the fact is, is that biblical truth is no longer popular. We live in a world today where, you know, truth isn't popular. You know, it's, it's not, it no longer is absolute truth, you know, really accepted anymore. Of course, absolute truth, there has to be absolute truth. Um, but people today, they're like, well, I don't care what, what truth is. I go based on what my feelings are. And the idea is today is that, well, if your feelings are hurt, then it must be wrong, which is just garbage. Um, truth is truth. Regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of how popular it is, truth is always truth. And I urge you, stand for what's right. Preach God's word. Affirm to others that any and all sin is a violation of God's law, regardless of what sin it is. Yes, you should love them, but love without truth is hypocrisy. If someone comes to you and they were to say, I believe I can fly, you, in your right mind, you would not let them go to the top of the tallest building and jump off it. You know, because you would say, hey, you have a problem. You know, that is not true. And you cannot lovingly let someone jump off a building thinking that they can fly. No, in love, but in truth, you tell, no, you can't fly. It's not possible. Um, and you try and, and show them that they're wrong. And really, as, as silly of a, of a situation that would be, we think, well, who would, who would do that? Who would really think that they could fly by jumping off a building? But really, you think about it, there's so many people in the world today that, that think that what they're doing is true. That the way they're living their lives is okay. Um, and the fact is that if they are living their lives contrary to the Word of God, if they're living their lives contrary to truth, they're heading for a dangerous place. They're heading down a dangerous road. And the ultimate destination of the path that they're on is eternity in hell. And so we must... As Christians stand for uh, the truth of the faith. And we must urge people with the truth and, and compel them to accept Jesus Christ. Uh, we must um, explain that, um, that their sin, um, you know, even though we love them, that it's keeping them from a relationship with God. And then proclaim that there is only one way to heaven. And that salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now going back to our... Our theme verse in Proverbs twenty two twenty again, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set, 
This proverb also contains an implicit argument against changing boundary markers. Those who had inherited, not established the ancient boundaries, had no right to change what their ancestors had set up. And the fact is, we here, uh, if you're sitting here, we have inherited a spiritual legacy of the doctrines of the Word of God. You know, the truths of God's Word have been preached generation by generation by generation uh, all throughout uh, church history. And it is a great tradition. And when I say here of, of tradition, I'm talking about traditions in, well, you know, we, we always, uh, you know, sing, you know, three hymns, um, and then we have the preaching. That's not what I'm talking about tradition. When I'm talking about the tradition of the Christian faith. In this context, I'm talking about the, the preaching of the Word of God. We have the tradition of, of the truths of God's Word that have been passed down to us. And we have no right, we have no right to remove these boundaries. Once again, I'm not talking about tradition in that normal sense, but uh, the teaching of God's Word. And I picked the, the theme for this youth summit of Remove Not the Ancient Landmarks based on our church theme of building a legacy that lasts. The, the theme, as you see here on, on these banners, the idea here in our, in our theme is that uh, pastor is encouraging us to, to, to leave behind a legacy that when people come after us that they see, oh, there's someone that lived for God. There's someone that loved Jesus. There's someone who had a close relationship with Him. There's someone that, that left something substantial behind. There's someone that, that trained uh, their children to love the Lord, to, to walk uh, in the truth of God's Word. That is what your, hopefully your parents are trying to do in your life. They're trying to leave a legacy. Your pastors, other, um, you know, older people in the church are trying to have an impact in your life and leave a spiritual legacy for you that you will follow along with, that you will take up the mantle. Because the fact is, I'm not going to be here forever. You know, uh, those of you by the Calvin's not going to be there uh, forever. Some of us, God will move us on to other places. Some of us, uh, eventually, people in your life will, will pass away. We're not always going to be there to run the race for you. There's got to come a point where you say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to live for right. I'm going to, uh, do what I know to be right and try and leave a legacy behind for people coming after me. You know, especially too, even those of you who have younger siblings. You know, what an opportunity it is that you can, can set an example for them. You know, those of you that have younger siblings, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, your siblings look up to you. Maybe not when you're uh, teasing them and, and, and bugging them, but generally, most often, your younger siblings are looking up to you. What kind of example are you setting for them? And this legacy that, that's being left for you by your, by your parents, by your pastors, by others in the church, don't let it be in vain. Do not abandon what's right for what's popular. Again, we live in a day and age where, where truth isn't popular, where and even in the church, in, in churches, people, um, you see, in, there's these mega churches, especially down in the States. And, and I think of uh, Osteen's church in, in Houston. And people go there and, and all he does is talk about how God loves you and God wants to bless you. And he never preaches really the truths of God's Word. He never talks about sin. People just, nowadays, they want to go, seems that a lot of Christians want to go to church where they feel good. Not where God's word is being preached. Don't abandon the, the heritage. Don't remove those, that landmark that you have been entrusted with. Continue to stand for what's right. So we have, first of all, uh, the idea of, of landmarks is the idea of boundaries. The second uh, definition of landmark is the idea of, of that which is 
guiding us. You know, I'm a very visually oriented person. When I learned to drive growing up in Simcoe, I never bothered with learning the names of the streets there. I, I didn't. I knew where I was going based on different buildings and natural objects that were there. To this day, even though I, I frequently go back home and I visit family, I visit friends, I still couldn't tell you the name of most of the streets there. I have no idea. I know I know a few of them, but for the most part, I know how to get to where I'm going in Simcoe um, because I just recognize the area. I, rec- I There's different, whether it's restaurants or different businesses or, you know, maybe some... Uh, natural objects, whatever it is, I see those things and I realize, okay, I know where, where it is. I know, okay, so I see that. That means I need to take a left turn up ahead. That's just, that's just the way it, it works for me. Um, however, if one of those guides I use were to be removed, I could very easily miss the street I was intending to turn, turn onto. If I were to go back to Simcoe next month and something that had been there all my life that I use as, as something to let me know where I needed to make a turn. If that was suddenly gone, you know, I'd probably go right by the street that I was supposed to turn onto. Because I'm not looking at street signs. I'm looking at these, these landmarks, these guides to, to show me where I am and where I need to go. Specific, spiritually speaking, we have some guides that God has given us in order to show us where we need to go. And if we remove or even ignore these guides, we can end up lost. And three guys I want to want to talk about. First of all, the Bible. Turn over to Psalm 119, 105. If you're in Proverbs, you're pretty close to it. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. The Bible here says, and, and many of you probably recognize this verse, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The first guide for us, and really the greatest guide, is the Bible, the Word of God. And as I talked about already, we live in a society where the Bible is constantly under attack, where, where people uh, constantly reject the truths of God's Word, where people are actively opposed uh, to what God's Word has to say, to what Christians um, try to say. But the fact remains that there is no greater God in your life than the Word of God. The other two guides that we're going to talk about momentarily have the potential to steer you wrong because they are human. But God's Word will never, I repeat, will never steer you wrong. Now, there's two metaphors used in this verse. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, there's a distinction between that, a lamp and a light. See, a lamp really shows us where we are. You know, if you if I had a lamp here and I turn off all the lights... Really, the, what would be illuminated is just this general area. I wouldn't be able to see too far ahead with that lamp. I could see exactly where I am. I could see exactly where my next step would need to be. But I can't see too far off in, in the, the distance. However, if I had a flashlight, well, that wouldn't be very good for seeing where I am unless I'm like shining around constantly. But usually a flashlight, too, you're, showing, you're shining it forward and you're seeing what's up ahead. And so you see that, oh... Well, you know, there's a cliff there. I don't want to keep walking that way or I'm going to fall off the cliff and die. So, lamp and a light. So we have a lamp to show us where we are, show exactly where our next step is. But then the Word of God is also a light to show us where it is we need to be going. So, we use the Word of God. We read it. And and really, this is how we use God's Word, to be a lamp and a light. We have to read it. 
God's Word is not a lamp and a light if our Bibles are constantly closed. If this is the permanent condition of your Bible, it is not a lamp and a light unto you. We need to open it. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. And when we do that, when we're constantly, daily, in the Word of God, then the Bible shows us where we are. It shows us what we're doing. It shows us whether what we're doing is right or wrong. It shows us what our next step ought to be. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So, we use the Word of God and we, we look at it and say, all right, and then we pray about it. God, what should I do in this situation? What should my next step be? Well, then it's also, the Word of God is also a light to show us where it is we need to be going. The Bible says that the will of God for every Christian is to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. God wants all of us to be more and more like Christ each and every day. So, this is where God wants us to be. This is where we are. And so, we're studying our Bibles, we're reading it, and we're taking the next step, and we're seeing off in the distance with our flashlight where we need to go, where it is that God wants us to go, and we're taking another step, another step, another step. And the further we go in the Christian life, hopefully, the closer we're getting to where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do. So, the first guide for us is, is the Bible. That's the, the greatest guide that, that you and I could ever have. A second landmark, a second guide for us is our parents. Our parents. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. I'm, I'm sure most of you are very familiar uh, with these verses. And the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. We need to obey our parents, and even as adults, we need to honor them. You know, the obedience is is specified for children, but there is no age limit on honor. Regardless, even when you grow up and you you have a family of your own, we're always to honor our parents. The fact is, is... That our parents are older than us. They have more wisdom than us. They have more life experience than us. They know, especially if, if they've been saved for many years and they've lived the Christian life a long time, you can learn from their wisdom on how it is that you also can live the Christian life. Although sometimes we may question this during times that we're fighting with them, the fact is that God has given each of you the parents that you have. God didn't make a mistake. He knew what parents you would have. He gave you those parents. And He gave you to your parents. There's no mistake on, on either side. And for many of you, your parents have tried to set a godly example for you to follow. Don't abandon the example that they have set for you. Proverbs uh, talks a lot about listening to and obeying the instruction of your parents. Proverbs 19.26 describes the child who does it. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. If your parents are godly parents, then go to them. Go to them and ask them, Mom, Dad, I I see you as someone that constantly is is trying to, to do it right. I want that too. Please show me what it is that you do. And, and learn from their example. And if you're here and you say that your parents aren't a godly example, well, there's a story in Ezekiel chapter 18. And you have this man that's, that's uh, a righteous guy. 
And then his son um, basically uh, abandons everything that he learned from his father and goes and does his own thing, lives in sin. Well, that man has a son. And that son, so third generation, he looks at his dad and he sees, well, dad, you are not living in the way that God would want you to live. And instead of following his example, which would be easy to do, he says, no, I'm going to do what God says. And he lives a righteous life. And the fact is, is if you're here and you say, if you were to unfortunately say, you know, Pastor Justin, my, my mom, my dad, or, or maybe just one of them, they don't, you know, they don't live for the Lord. You know, that doesn't negate your responsibility to live for God. You can still live for God even if your parents aren't setting the right example. And the fact is, is that if you will live right, and you continue to obey and honor them as your parents, because the, the command to obey and honor them is not uh, subjective on them being living for God, but obey and honor them because they're, they're your parents. And so if you, if they're not setting the right example, but you'll choose to, to continue to obey them and honor them and do what's right according to, to God's word, who knows, you may have an opportunity to be a witness to them and encourage them to, if they're not saved, to accept Jesus Christ as, as their Savior. If they are saved and they're not having a living for God, you may be an encouragement to them to get right in the relationship with God and live for Him. Thirdly, third guy, we have the Bible, we have our parents, and then we have your, our pastors. Well, pastors don't have authority over your life like your parents do. God has given you pastors, youth pastors, um, elders in the church, for your spiritual growth. It's important that every time someone stands up to proclaim God's word, that we listen and apply God's word to our lives. Don't abandon your spiritual heritage. You know, I still look back fondly on, on some of the pastors that I have known in my life. I think of, I think of Pastor Strackett. Uh, he was the pastor at Bethel Baptist when I was a child. He was the, the pastor whose ministry I was saved under. I remember him preaching one night and, and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I needed um, to uh, trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. So I went forward at the invitation and asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. I think of, and, and he's, he's one of my heroes of faith. Of course, those of you who don't know him, he's, he's since passed on into glory. But uh, I still think that fondly of him and the example that he was of being a faithful servant for God. Um, I think of Dr. Hiltz. Uh, many that are from our church know uh, and probably remember Dr. Hiltz. He passed away a few years ago. But one thing I always loved about him was, you know, if you ever went to him and uh, asked him to pray about something, he wouldn't say, all right, I'll, I'll pray for you. No, he'd stop you right then and there and pray for you right on the spot with you there. I was, I was you know, reminded of that. And, I, and I, I wish I was a little bit more like that, that, that when people ask me to pray that I would... Uh, Yes, I'm going to go and pray for him later, but how important it is to just take that moment and pray with him right then and there? Um, of course, Pastor Thiessen, uh I've known him um, since probably around oh, grade four. You know, my uh, Bible teacher in elementary school. Of course, working with him these these uh, past several years. You know, these are people, and there's there, I could go on and on of, of different uh, preachers that I, that I've learned from. But these are people that, that have set 
an example for me on what it means to be faithful, on what it means to really live your life for God. And what a waste it would be if I ignored that. If I said, well, you know what? Yeah, that's great for you, but I want to go do my own thing. How heartbroken they would be. The fact is, though, if, if you're here today and you're, you want to go do your own thing, you're going to break hearts. You're going to break the heart of your youth pastor, your pastor, your parents. Don't abandon the spiritual legacy that God has for you. Those things which you have learned from your spiritual mentors in your life, don't forsake them. Turn over to 2 Timothy 3.14. 2 Timothy 3.14. And the Apostle Paul touches on this. Timothy was, was the man that Paul was a spiritual mentor to. And 2 Timothy is, is Paul's swan song. It's his, the last epistle that he would write before he was martyred for the faith. And he's writing to Timothy. He's in jail. And he's writing some final things of instruction to Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, Timothy, look, I've taught you some things. And in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy he talks about uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother and how, how much of a spiritual um, legacy he had from them. He says, look, I've taught you some things. I know your mother and your grandmother have taught you some things. Continue thou in those things. Don't abandon it. What your, what your parents have taught you, what your youth pastor has, has taught you, what your pastor has taught you, what, what other older, wiser Christians in the, in the church have taught you, don't neglect that. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Continue thou in those things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. And then in verse 15, Paul points Timothy to the Bible. He says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Again, it's always, it's always possible ultimately that, that man can steer you wrong. But God's word never will. But as long as your, your pastors, your parents and others are, are, are training you according to what God's word says, don't abandon that. Don't forsake that. Lastly, we have landmarks in the idea of boundaries, landmarks in the idea of guides, and finally, landmarks in the idea of memorials. Turn over to Joshua 4. Joshua chapter 4. <coughs> now, for a second time, allow me to give you a, a brief summary of this chapter. At this point in Israel's history... Moses has just recently died, and Joshua is now leader over Israel. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Israel had just crossed the Jordan River and entered the Promised Land. After the crossing the Jordan River, which God had miraculously parted for them so they could cross on dry land, God instructs that a man of each tribe take a stone from the riverbed, which be set up as a memorial for what God had done for Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. There's three things, really, that I believe this memorial was a memorial of. First of all, this this stone structure was a memorial of God's presence. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, 
that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. The mercy seat that sat on top of the ark of the Lord, a.k.a. the ark of the covenant, was where God's Shekinah glory dwelt. This is where God dwelt. This is where God dwelt with His people on top of the ark of the covenant. And so, what this verse tells us is that as the Israelites crossed over, God was right there with them. God hadn't abandoned them. They weren't off, you know, having to do their own thing, but God was right there with them. God was the one who, who parted the water so that they could cross over on dry land. God was right there watching over them, protecting them, guiding them. And the fact is, is that likewise we have God's presence in our lives. The Bible teaches that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells the heart of every believer. And Hebrews 13.5 promises that God will never leave us or forsake us. I'm reminded of, of a poem, Footprints in the Sand. How many of you are familiar with the poem, Footprints in the Sand? A few. For those who don't, uh, poem is this, this, this guy's writing and he's looking back on his life and he's looking at all these footprints in the sand. And sometimes there's uh, two sets of footprints, sometimes there's one set of footprints. And he notices that it, where it's just one set of footprints, that those were the hardest times of his life. Those were the times where, you know, his parents passed away. Or uh, maybe his, his wife passed away. Or, or uh, he experienced an illness. And at those times, those toughest times of his life, one set of footprints. And he, he, so he's looking back and he asks God, God, why, why is it that when things are going great, there's two sets of footprints and you're walking with me. But when there's one set of footprints, you know, why, why was I walking alone? And the point of the poem is, God says, you know, during those times, that's when I picked you up and carried you. Fact is, is that God is with us. If you are His child, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, if you trust Jesus as your Savior, He's He's always with you. He's never going to leave you. And during those times where it might seem like, you know, how am I going to get through this? God's right there. And you know, a moment where you recognize God's presence in your life, maybe you've gone through a situation, a hard time, and you, and you felt God's presence there, and you realize, hey, I don't know how I did it, but God somehow got me through that. You know, that can be a memorial uh, for you in your life, a memory, a memorial that God is with you in every situation you face in life. I think, too, even uh, as far as uh, corporately, a memorial uh, that serves as a, as a memorial of God's presence is Christmas. Remember, think about it. One of the names uh, for Christ is Emmanuel. Christ, sorry, God with us. God with us. So at Christmas, remember the fact, hey, Christ came down to this earth so that God could be with us. God could have a relationship with us. God could die on the cross for our sins. So it's a memorial of God's presence. Secondly, it's a memorial of God's power. Verse uh, 23 uh, beginning of verse 24, it says, For Lord your God dried up the waters. Um, let's go back to verse 21, actually. And he's speaking to the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Then all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it... Is mighty. This was just one of many miracles that God did for Israel, parting the Jordan River for them to cross over. And these stones would serve as a helpful history lesson for future generations 
what God did for Israel to get them to the promised land. And God did some amazing things. All, all those uh, plagues that he poured out upon the nation of Egypt. Uh, God bringing his people out of Egypt. Uh, they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies are closing in. So what does God do? He parts the Red Sea uh, so that uh, they could walk on through. And then after they get through, uh, of course, God had, had sent this... Uh, uh, Pillar of fire to, to hinder the, the Egyptians. And after Israel had crossed through, God removed that pillar of fire and the, the Egyptians uh, started chasing after them and God closed the waters on them. And then for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness and God provided for them time and time again. And then they, get, they finally get to the promised land. There's this memorial that says, hey, and they, they sit down with their future generation and say, hey, son, let me tell you, look at these stones. Let me, let me tell you what God's what God did for us. Let me tell you how God brought us out of Egypt and how we got here to a land that flows with milk and honey. What a great memorial. What a great reminder for people. I think a great memorial for us today for God's power is Easter Sunday. On that day, we remember God's power over death. How God raised Jesus from the dead. And God's power to save us from our sin because of Christ's sacrifice. Another memorial, perhaps, too, of God's power is Thanksgiving time, where we take time and we can thank God for all the blessings that He's done, all the, all the ways that He has blessed us and provided for us. And finally, memorial of God's person. So memorial of God's presence, memorial of God's power, and finally, memorial of God's person. And the end of verse 24 says, That ye might fear the Lord your God forever. These stones were a memorial that God is God. Only God could perform such wondrous miracles. More than that, these stones were memorial that God is their God. What an amazing thing to have a relationship with Almighty God. Not just that He's God, but that He's your God. There are a few memorials that we commemorate today that, that recognize who God is. Christmas is a memorial of God becoming man so that He could die for us. Easter is a memorial of Jesus as God, as only God could take the punishment for our sin upon Himself. Um, when, we, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's a memorial that He's our Savior, and that one day we will eat and drink with Him in glory. And our own personal salvation is a memorial, a reminder each and every day as we live the Christian life that God is our God. That we can look back on, on the, the day we're saved. And we may not... You may not remember the exact day. You may not remember the exact hour. But if you know you're a child of God, you can look back on the fact that you are saved and you can realize, hey, God is my God. I have a relationship with Him. Let's not abandon God. Let's not go do our own things. Let's, don't, don't remove the ancient landmarks. These landmarks, these, these boundaries, these guides, these memorials, don't abandon them. Don't forsake them. Don't remove them. Continue to live for God. Continue in the things that thou hast learned. Continue going in, in the, according to the heritage that has been set out for you. Again, our theme is building a legacy that lasts. You, you have parents and, and pastors and other people in the church that love you. Teenagers, you are loved. You are loved. Myself, uh, Brother Burden, Brother Calvin, uh, others in the church. We love you and we want to see God do great things in your life. But if God's going to do great things in your life, 
then you cannot remove the ancient landmarks. You cannot forsake the godly heritage that has been left for you. So my question for you tonight is, what are you going to do with those landmarks? What are you going to do with those landmarks? Let's pray. Dear followers, just thank you, uh, Lord, for who you are. Uh, Lord, for the uh, gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, so much for the godly heritage uh, that you have provided for us. Lord, I just pray that you will help these young people, uh, Lord, not to abandon, not to forsake uh, what they have learned, and Lord, the, the spiritual legacy that has been left for them. Lord, I pray that they won't forsake it for that which is popular, or that which is fun, or that which is convenient. But Lord, no matter how inconvenient or how un- unpopular it is, that they will always continually stand for the truths of your word, Lord. Lord, help help myself and help these young people, Lord, to do that each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.